Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, March 23rd, and this is your FT News Briefing. The U.S. now has nearly 30,000 confirmed cases of the coronavirus, with cities, including New York, shutting down to stem the spread. But as of late Sunday night, progress on a $2 trillion stimulus package from Washington to manage the economic fallout had stalled. Plus, official economic data relating to the outbreak is often out of date by the time we get our eyes on it. The FT's John Byrne Murdoch has found another way to gauge the impact on the global economy. And Occidental Petroleum and Carl Icahn could be getting close to a truce. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. And as the scale of the coronavirus outbreak in the U.S. became clear over the weekend, so did the pressure on lawmakers to agree on fiscal stimulus measures that might soften the economic blow. Economists are predicting a dramatic slowdown in economic activity in the next few weeks. But yesterday, Democrats blocked an effort to move forward a $2 trillion plan that Republicans put on the table. Democrats say that the package focuses too much on bailing out big businesses and not enough on worker protections. The bill needed 60 votes to move forward, but only got 47. Lawmakers were wrestling with the bill late on Sunday night, hoping to have a deal before the markets opened on Monday. News that negotiations had stalled sent U.S. stock futures down in early trading in Asia. Now, it'll be some time before we have the full picture of the economic fallout from the outbreak. And a lot of the figures that will trickle out before then risk being out of date by the time they're released. The problem with official statistics with something like coronavirus is that the story can move on in a matter of days, and often the official statistics lag by weeks or months. That's our senior data visualization journalist, John Byrne Murdoch. To make up for the lack of up-to-date information, John and the FT's Valentina Romai compiled a set of alternative high-frequency measures of economic activity for different sectors. They give an early indication of what to expect when official data start to become available in the coming weeks. One of the first things we looked at was data from the restaurant booking app Open Table. The data we have is the percentage change in the numbers of people booking for seated dinners in various cities and countries around the world. And obviously this is interesting because one of the first things countries have done when instituting their lockdowns is to close down bars and restaurants. So, so we're seeing two things here. We're seeing members of the public taking their own initiative, deciding not to go out for dinner, but we're also seeing what happens when governments close those restaurants themselves. So we see that Globally, but especially in countries like the UK, the US, um, Canada, Germany, we're, we're now pretty much at a stage where the booking numbers have fallen by 100%, i.e. they're down to zero, from where they were only about just over a month ago. Wow, down to zero, John. That's absolutely unbelievable. And it must be really hard for these business owners too. John, I want to switch gears a little bit to travel. I'm based in New York City. It's been a while since I've been in a car or even in a subway for that matter. And based on the data you've collected, it looks like that the overall rush hour traffic in and out of New York City has been down. Why is that? And are we seeing this kind of pattern in other cities too? Right. So this, this for me is actually one of the most interesting indicators we've looked at here. So this is using data from TomTom, the SatNav provider. And this is probably the most striking indicator we have in terms of being able to see when different parts of the world locked down. So you've mentioned New York there. What we can see in New York is that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all of this week, 
the rush hour peaks have completely flattened out. So it's quite clear from that that what we're seeing is a lot of people working from home who would otherwise have been in the office. And by way of quite a substantial contrast to that, over that same last week, um, London's traffic has been barely a different, barely any different from normal. It was only actually on Friday night, um, Friday night rush hour, when we saw a slight dip. Now, Jen, you've looked at other indicators, the steep drop in global flights, the major decline in Europe's energy use. Listeners can read more about these in the FT. Another piece of work you've done during this crisis has been what you've called the mortality trajectory tracker. Tell me a little bit about that. So I think the first iteration of this would have been about 10 days ago now, which was, you know, it feels like a lifetime ago. And this was when we just wanted to get an idea of how... Italy was doing as, as its death toll and case count started rising and, and where other countries were relative to the Italian trajectory. Because what, what was quite clear by then was that the virus was spreading at pretty much the same rate all around the world, or at least among Western countries who, who hadn't acted as early as some Asian countries. So about a week ago, we also added a second tracker, which is looking at number of deaths rather than number of cases. And that is partly because, sadly, there are now lots of countries where the death toll is in the hundreds, which gives us enough data to be sure that we're looking at real meaningful data rather than just random noise. But it was also because one of the uh, drawbacks to tracking the case numbers is that in some cases, countries having a lot of confirmed cases isn't necessarily actually a bad thing. It shows that they're doing a lot of testing. And countries that have small numbers of cases, it may be that they're not testing enough. So the case information is still useful because it tells us all sorts of things, including how much a country is testing. But the the deaths tracker is probably a better indicator of the absolute stage of the outbreak in any given country. And Occidental Petroleum might have finally found a way to get billionaire investor Carl Icahn off its back. The FT's James Fontanella Khan has more. Carl Icahn has been trying to destabilize Occidental's board and the company overall ever since Occidental agreed to buy Anadarko last year for $56 billion. Basically, he was not happy with the deal. He wanted to block it. He tried to fight the company over it, has failed to do so. And he hasn't relented, though, because he stayed in in the stock. He actually bought more Occidental stock in recent weeks. And as the oil prices have collapsed significantly over the last couple of weeks, he's actually put pressure on Occidental's CEO, Vicky Holub, to quit the company. He wants her out. So it's been an incredibly tough battle between one of the most aggressive activist hedge fund investors on the planet and a company that, you know, just less than a year pulled off one of the most spectacular M&A deals in recent years. And now is like trying to survive to stay in business. On Sunday, Carl Icahn and the board of Occidental were edging a truce. Basically, they were working on hammering out an agreement that would give the activist investor at least two board seats on Occidental's board. And in exchange for that, Icahn would stop trying to agitate the company and he would stop urging for the exit of Vicky Hollow. That's kind of a huge change in what has going on over the past year. James mentioned the pressure Occidental has been under in the past three weeks as oil prices drop. In fact, shares in the company have fallen almost 70%, bringing its market capitalization to less than $10 billion. Note that it had a market cap of 
$42 billion before it offered to buy Anadarko last summer. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. And before we go, we've made our coronavirus business update newsletter free for a 30-day trial. It's focused on the global impact of the pandemic on business, markets and workplaces, and our everyday lives. Visit FT.com to sign up. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.